It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And with that, uh, the trumpets are blaring in the background, and he walks in on the red carpet. Here is Dr. History. It is red carpet. I've never noticed that. Well, duh. You've only been doing this program for <laughs> 15 years. It is red carpet. You're a sharp guy. I am. It only takes me a while to catch on. Yeah. If you were a fish, you would have been landed a long time ago. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yep. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing good. Looking forward to Thanksgiving. My family's coming. So Are they really? Yeah, I'm going to have most all of them here. Who does all the cooking? Your wife? Oh, and the girls. And the girls. I have five daughters and one son, and and all they, in the same kitchen? They Well, they bring stuff. They cook and bring it all together to my yeah, house. Yeah, but still, they're all in the same kitchen. That's dangerous. It works. Oh. That's all I can say. Oh, you stay out I of I stay it. out of the way. You're a good man. Yes. Any thank yous? Uh, not today, but uh, I got a pretty good story today. I'm we, looking forward we, to it. We have talked about Butch Cassidy. Oh, many times. Yeah. And I'm going to talk to you specifically about one particular robbery that took place called the Castlegate Payroll Robbery. That wasn't too far from here. No, in Utah. Well, this book that I'm taking it from is Outlaw Tales of Utah uh, by a guy named Ma- uh, Michael Rudder. So okay. that's where the source comes. So this was considered the most technical robbery ever pulled in Utah. The most technical. Really? So, uh, specifically, we're going to talk about this one. So, the daring and well-planned Castlegate payroll robbery of 1897 kind of made Butch's reputation on both sides of the law, good and bad. Mm -hmm. It was considered a criminal masterpiece, leaving little doubt that Butch Cassidy was one of the greatest criminal strategists the West had ever seen. And this job made him the undisputed leader of the gang known as the... Hole in the Wall Gang. Wild Butch. (laughs) You were close. (laughs) Yeah, but didn't they reside in that famous place called the Hole in the Wall? Yeah. But they had two names. I've heard it also referred to as the Hole in the Wall Gang. Right. And yeah. Yeah, you're right. Oh, okay. So, but anyway, the Castlegate Mine was the largest mining concern in the area and actually had hundreds of men working there. So huge payroll. Really? Okay. Uh, it had this tempting payroll. It didn't take long for such a prize to catch the, take, uh, the attention of the Wild Bunch. And the mine near Price, Utah. Oh, it was uh, down there. Yeah, down that way. Okay. Was between two famous hideouts, Brown's Hole and Robber's Roost. Which uh, is, you know, not too far from uh, Wyoming when you get up into that. Yeah, area. it's down uh, where the College of Eastern Utah is down okay. by Price. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so this made it easier for the uh, them to disappear, so to speak. Well, the company was. Uh, understandably nervous about the amount of outlaw activity in the area and to stop any robberies the payroll trains were well guarded and paydays and routines were always being changed Uh. miners never knew on which day they'd get paid even the miners paymaster didn't always know when the money was to uh, arrive from salt lake city 
So they were they were pretty careful. That's a long haul uh, from Salt Lake. To down to Price, yeah. yeah. But Butch had carefully studied the area, and he decided that a direct attack on the train was too risky. You know, he decided that wasn't a good thing. He concluded that the best approach would be to rob the paymaster just after he took the money from the train. Oh, I see. Right? I see. So since no one knew when the money would show up, the outlaws had to be ready waiting just kind of inconspicuously until the payroll came in. So they just had to be patient. Now, here's a guy I want you to remember his name, E.L. Carpenter. Okay, got it. He was the paymaster for the Pleasant Valley Coal Company, and he had a sore toe. A what? A sore toe. Okay. This will come. This will play into it. You'll see. <laughs> you come up with the doggondest angles. So, because he had a sore toe, he hadn't changed out of his bedroom slippers before picking up the payroll from the noon train. He could hear the whistle blast signaling to the miners that later that day they would be getting paid, and paydays always made him a little nervous. And he'd be happy when this one was over. Okay, Carpenter, Sorto, Slippers. It. I got it. Okay. I got it. <laughs> I don't want to confuse you. You're not. All right. So as Carpenter lifted his sore foot onto the wooden stairs leading up to his office, he caught the glint of light on the barrel of a well-used Colt 45. This doesn't sound good. He felt a prod of the 45 in his ribs as the man came in close. In a quiet voice, the smiling cowboy with the big gun said in his right ear, quote, I'll take them money bags, sir. Stay calm, since I'd hate to shoot a hole in you. <laughs> that was cordial. <laughs> He's a nice cordial, guy. cordial, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Butch Cassidy had caught Carpenter. The language in the Old West really was different, wasn't <laughs> it? It was. I love it. I love it. You know, Butch Cassidy caught Carpenter by complete surprise. It seemed impossible to Carpenter that he was being robbed, while hundreds of miners were just hanging around waiting for their pay. Where were they? Outside the door? Yeah. But most of the men were foreigners who didn't speak much English. Uh Uh-oh. They probably had no idea what was going on, and there was no mistake in that six-gun. Without a fight, he loosened his fingers on the large case of the money sacks. Carpenter's assistant, a man named Lewis, threw down the bag of silver he was carrying and very prudently dove into a hardware store when he saw the gun. He wasn't sticking around. He left. (laughs) He took off. So... Now that he uh, thought of it, Carpenter realized he'd seen these cowboys uh, and one, uh, this cowboy and one other sitting on the stairs when he'd walked out to the train. In fact, they'd been hanging around for days, and he noticed two unsaddled horses the men rode. They were tied next to his office. One of the men had now mounted, mounted his horse and had his hand on his pistol. Now, remember I said they were unsaddled, and yeah. I'll tell you why. Yeah, okay. Because you were going to ask. I, I got it. Okay, wait a minute. Carpenter, Sorto, unsaddled horses. Yeah, got it. Okay. And they've got the money. And they got the money. Yeah. yeah okay. So horses were rare in this mining town, and that should have been a clue, okay? The canyon was so steep and narrow that there had hardly been room enough for the train and the buildings that served the miners. It was nearly impossible to bring a wagon. Saddle horses were discouraged. Uh, besides, the miners weren't stockmen. So few, if any, ever had any horses. What did they anyway. use for transportation? Well, they were right there. Uh, they would go in and out on the train. So uh, they, so, and they were miners. The train. So the miners didn't really need horses. I see. So Butch quietly walked to the man on the horse, Elza Lay. 
Does that, Do now, I have to remember that, too? Well, kind of, because that's oh, his partner. This is home. El Soleil. Okay. And he handed him some of the loot. As Butch grabbed the reins of his horse, Carpenter regained some of his lost courage and ran, sore foot and all, up the stairs to his office, yelling, robbers, robbers. So the With a sore toe. With a sore toe, in his slippers. Someone fired a rifle. Don't know who. The miners pushed in closer to see what was going on. Butch's well-trained horse became nervous. When Butch tossed up a money bag near his horse's head, the animal spooked and bolted down the street. Okay, without Butch. Without Butch. Ah. Now, so here you have it. Butch, here's for a moment. Butch looked after his horse running away. There he was, alone, horseless, stunned, gun holstered, a large bag of Castlegate gold in one hand. He ran for his frightened horse. Well, his quick-thinking partner, Elza, headed off the horse. After several futile tries, he grabbed the reins and brought the gray mare named Babe back to his partner. Butch snatched the reins and in one jump managed to get seated on this tall horse while still carrying the gold. Bareback, keep in mind. But Carpenter's still got a sore toe. Yes. (laughs) That hasn't cured. I'm glad you got that. Babe reared up a few times. Elsa spurred his horse, and Babe and Butch followed him down. Babe uh, down this narrow uh, canyon. All right. Well, up the canyon, the robber stopped and quickly put the money into canvas bags. They had at least $7,000 in $20 gold pieces, some currency and some silver. And they left the silver because it was too heavy to carry. And at this point, they picked up saddles that they'd hidden. Okay, now I've got a very dumb question. Okay. You have been in the horse business. Yes. I'm in the horse business. Yes. Why didn't they keep him saddled in the first place? Well, because they didn't want... Well, okay, I think we'll get to that. Okay. So let's keep going. Oh, darn. (laughs) Since there were few horses in the canyon, the outlaws had pretended to be training their, quote, race horses, working them on the steep canyon trails. In that time, it was the custom for racing people to condition their animals by riding cross-country without a saddle. So each day after working out their horses, Butch and Elza hung around the saloons, okay, drinking and just loafing. And so they didn't really look out of place. So that's why the horses didn't have saddles, okay, because they didn't want to be conspicuous. Ah. Okay, so here we go. Sore, but Mr. Carpenter still has a sore toe. Sore-toed Carpenter <laughs> ran for the telegraph office. Okay. The nearest law was in Price, 10 miles away. The telegraph man told him the lines had been cut. Uh Uh-oh. Carpenter hobbled to the train in his bedroom slippers and told the engineer to fire up the engine. So off they went. So the train took off towards Price, 10 miles away. Okay. Now, Carpenter had the whistle pulled down, signaling to the town that something was wrong. When the train pulled to a stop, Sheriff Donant was at the platform. It took him several hours to get his posse organized, and then he took off in the wrong direction. Oh, boy, this sounds like a comedy (laughs) of uh, Don Knotts. In the meantime, Carpenter telegraphed the news about the robbery to all the local towns. But now we have a third member of the outlaw gang. Joe Walker. 
and he had cut the telegraph wires out of the canyon. Oh. So that's guy number three. Yeah. Joe knew the law would be on the trail, and he decided he'd better meet up with his partners. So they rendezvoused at a place called Desert Lake. Butch and Elza decided to uh, lead the posse on a roundabout route, while Joe took the money to a place called uh, Florence Creek and back to the hideout in the Roost. Uh, Butch knew where he was going, and he wouldn't have a, the loot to slow him down. Really? So they, so Joe took all the money. Oh. And and they were going to meet. Is over. that a smart thing? Uh, yes, uh, it was. I see. So at the same time, the posses were gathering. Finally, some members of the posse were less than enthusiastic about catching up with the robbers because they knew who they were. The leader of the oh, po- they did know it was Butch. Yeah. So the leader of the posse, for example, had loaned his horse, Babe. To Butch for this robbery. Now, you're really messing things up. I'm still trying to remember Carpenter with a sore toe, and now you're switching horses. So, so the leader had no intention of catching up with his friend, who was on his horse, Babe. Can we have a commercial? <laughs> now, you know, Butch knew the Utah backcountry. And he had horses and provisions stashed so he could replenish his supplies. He spent the winter planning this job. He, he thought this out really well. I and he, he's pretty smart. Yeah. Besides, the locals were more than eager to loan or sell a horse. He'd always treated ranchers and farmers with respect and paid them well for their services. And there was little love lost between the local folks and the mining company. They didn't particularly like each other. At one ranch, Butch and Elsa pulled in about midnight with their horses, which were now just totally spent, just exhausted. Butch asked if they could exchange their exhausted horses for new horses. Butch picked out two good horses and asked the rancher what price was fair. The rancher said $20. Butch gave him 50 So you can see why he was kind of endeared by the local people, the ranchers and the one thing or another. Anyway, it was a long chase, but Butch and Elza were always in control. The famous lawman Joe Bush was not far behind. The Bush posse included Carpenter, who was still wearing his bedroom slippers. With a sorto. With a sorto on his horse. Uh Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. A black dog named Sunday had befriended Butch and followed him down the trail. The black dog was keeping up pretty well. You remember, they're they're going pretty fast. However, after a while, it began to lag behind. Butch noticed that the, the Bush posse had pulled ahead of the dog. They passed the dog. So the posse got ahead of the black dog that was following Butch. Right. Okay. Now, Butch could see that his furry little friend was tired. You're not telling me. (laughs) Hang on, Zeb. (laughs) Butch had a soft spot for animals. Uh So he told Elsa to wait in the rocks and fire shots at the posse with his Winchester pinning them down. Now, Elza knew he was not to hit any of the lawmen because Butch's orders were to shoot but never to kill. Yeah. And, and he never did. Yeah, you know. I know that. Yeah. Well, Elza started lobbing shots at the lawmen who quickly took cover while Butch slipped around them and rescued the faithful hound. He gave the animal a drink and circled ahead of the posse, carrying Sunday the dog on his saddle. Sunday the dog. Sunday the dog. <laughs> Well, the dog and the outlaws made it uh, to the robber's roost. Butch had uh, had planned well. Along the way, they had horses, like I said, and supplies and help from other gang members or ranchers when they needed it. They met up with Joe Walker 
They divided up the gold. The posse gave up, and no one is sure what happened to the dog. <laughs> that was my next question. I figured it would be. The outlaws hold up for nearly three months. The boy, In Robber's Roost. Yeah. Isn't it time to tell everybody where Robber's Roost was? You know, I was going to look that up, but I think it's just right over in uh, Wyoming. Wyoming. Just yeah. barely over the yeah. border. Yeah. So the boys played poker until they went stir-crazy about the end of June. The Wild Bunks decided to head back to Brown's Hole and finally uh, hitting a place called Krause Creek. Uh, they were loaded from the robbery, and they headed over the state line into Carbon County, Wyoming. So right up there in northern Utah, right? So their favorite watering hole were a couple of one-horse towns called Dixon and Bags. Ever? Oh, I've been to Bags. Have you? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's just barely into Wyoming, yeah. right? Okay. Well, the local merchants started sharpening the pencils because this would be good business. The bunch all bought new suits, they took baths, they got shaves, some bought new derby hats, which you've seen pictures of. Well, they shot up the town. Uh, It's kind of an understatement. Uh, In one saloon alone, there were more than 25 bullet holes in the bar, and who knows about the roof. Uh, Before the party ended, it was all in fun, and no innocent bystanders were killed. So... um, you know, one can only imagine how the townsfolk kind of took this, uh, but they were kind of accustomed to these occasional little jaunts into town. But uh, every ho- bullet hole was gladly paid for a dollar a hole. You're kidding. They paid a dollar a hole to... Butch Cassidy did. Yeah, his and his gang. Huh. Because, you know... They were having a good time. They didn't want the bartender owner to be stuck with fixing all this the holes in the ceiling and in the bar. That's nice. You shoot the thing to uh, smithereens and then pay for it. Yeah. So anyway, there's a lot of big talk about how well the job had gone and the money flowed as fast as the whiskey. Rumor has it that Carpenter was the butt of a lot of toasted glass. The guy with the sword toe. Yeah. One butch cowboy even offered to send him a pair of boots since he'd heard that Carpenter who was riding with the posse in his bedroom slipper. Now, these places that they shot up, are there any of the remnants of those places still around today? Boy, you know you know where Montpelier is. I do. Um, folks, if you're ever in Montpelier, right along the main street, there's a what used to be a bank. Right. And it was the first robbery that Butch did. And it is now a Butch Cassidy Museum. Uh-huh. So if you stop in there, you can go in there, and there's a book that I got uh, that I think is the best book about Butch Cassidy, and it's written by his by Butch's youngest sister's grandson, I believe, okay. grandson, and it talks all and about. That's in Montpelier, you're right in Montpelier, but I think you can get the book, and I can't remember the name of the book, but it's about, and it talks about Butch going down to South America and the things they did down there, and and then coming up in back home. And uh, how Butch is supposedly buried under a uh, fictitious name up in the state of Washington somewhere. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. And there's enough evidence that he uh, did not die in South America like the movie shows yeah. or yeah. indicates, you know. I'm really concerned, though. I've only got a minute left, but did Carpenter ever get that toe fit? What was the matter? Did he break it, or what was the matter with it? Who knows? You know, the guy... I mean, you led me on to remember I it, know. so I'm remembering You know, it. I could make something up, okay. but but I don't know why he had a sore toe. Maybe... Oh, we got a call quickly. Maybe he's got a sore toe, too. Uh, call her real fast. i got 30 seconds. Sundance Kid. 
Or was he in at a place that she belonged to Butch or the Sundance? At a place was more involved with Butch. Sundance really didn't play as much into this whole story as the movie would indicate. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, Sundance was arrested for killing a marshal in Utah and spent the rest of his life in the Utah State Pen and uh, under an assumed name and died uh, in the Utah State Pen in like 1950. Let's just say, and I think uh, Dr. History would agree with me, Hollywood uh, enlarged the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your call. I got to run. Anything quick? Wrap it up. Nope, we're good. I want to tell you how much that was interesting, but I think we should take a personal trip to go find the bullet holes. <laughs> we need to go to bags and or else Dixon. pick up the dog. <laughs> find that dog and take your slippers. <laughs> Doctor History, God bless you, man. That was great. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.